You are listening to The Partner Podcast, relevant information to enhance the careers and improve the lives of partner-level attorneys. Produced by The Attorney Search Group, we grow law firms and accelerate attorney careers. Visit us on the web at attorneysearchgroup.com. Hey, this is Scott Love, and thank you for joining me on the Partner Podcast. This podcast is focused on giving law firm partners useful and relevant information that will help them improve in their lives, grow their practices, and get more business. From my work as a partner-level legal recruiter, I've noticed that there are unique attributes of personality and behavior that are common with most attorneys, and along with these attributes come certain strengths. There are weaknesses in them as well. But in today's podcast, we hear from an expert on the topic of the lawyer brain, Dr. Larry Richard. I first heard Larry speak at a conference over a year ago, and his mesmerizing presentation was rich in content that attorneys can use to make a difference in their lives, both professionally and personally. Dr. Richard is recognized as the leading expert on the psychology of lawyer behavior. He's advised dozens of large law firms on leadership, management, and related issues such as teams, change management, talent selection, assessment, and other aspects of strategic talent management. Widely known as an expert on lawyer personality, he's gathered personality data on thousands of lawyers. A graduate of the University of Pennsylvania Law School, Dr. Richard practiced law as a trial attorney for 10 years. He then earned a PhD in psychology from Temple University. For more than 20 years, he's provided consulting services exclusively to the legal profession. Formerly a partner with Altman Weil, and more recently the head of the leadership and organizational development practice at Hildebrandt International, in 2011, he established his own consulting firm, Lawyer Brain LLC, which focuses on improving lawyer performance through personality science. He focuses on resilience, change management, leadership, and talent issues. So I've got with me on the podcast, Dr. Larry Richard, who's the founder and principal consultant with Lawyer Brain LLC. And I saw Larry speak at a conference for the National Association of Legal Search Consultants, and the topic was the lawyer brain. So, Larry, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Well, thank you, Scott. Delighted to be here. And so tell me, in terms of working definitions, what does that mean when you say the lawyer brain? What's the definition of that? So rather than a definition, I think it's better if I explain how I came to it. I practiced law for 10 years and uh, found that it wasn't really uh, the right fit for me. And when I did some soul searching, I realized that my first love was always psychology. And I didn't want to waste all the time I had spent as a lawyer. So I decided to go into psychology and study lawyers and, and use my knowledge of psychology to help the legal profession. And I wanted to come up with some sort of a company name that reflected that idea that I'm studying what makes lawyers tick. And my particular interest was in the personality of lawyers. What, mm-hmm. what kind of personalities go into this profession? And so lawyer brains seem to capture all of that. So how would you define the lawyer brain? Is there one type of profile that's more dominant than others? How would you categorize the different personalities, the different profiles that you've come across within your research? Well, first, let me explain what it's not. And to do that, I want to tell you a vignette. When I first came up with the name, I had some T-shirts made that said Lawyer Brain on the back of the T-shirt. And I walked into my local supermarket and a woman literally came up and tapped me on the shoulder and said, 
excuse me, young man, but is that curable? (laughs) (laughs) So that's not what I'm talking about when I say lawyer brain. So the first thing that I discovered years ago when I did my doctoral research, I, I did a national study of lawyer personalities using the Myers-Briggs. I studied about 3,000 lawyers across the U.S. Wow. And I wasn't really interested at that point so much in personality. I just used the Myers-Briggs because I thought it would be a useful tool to answer the question, do the kinds of personality preferences that we have explain why lawyers were so unhappy in the mid-late 1980s? And it turns out that it didn't explain it. What explained it was we were working too hard. But as part of that study, I got to see the distribution of personality types in the Myers-Briggs that came back from the data. And that wasn't really something that was supposed to be even an issue in the dissertation research. But I looked at the data and I said, my God, the lawyer data looks nothing at all like the general U.S. population. We are complete outliers. The data are so skewed and atypical and unconventional there's something interesting going on here. Well, fast forward to today, since I did that original research, I've now studied over 25,000 lawyers with over a dozen different psychological tools. And in every case, the same story emerges, which is that the people that go into law are really different in significant ways from the general population. We are major outliers. We're minority outliers, that is, our traits are atypical. And what makes those traits so interesting is that they help us really be effective as lawyers, but they also make it much harder to do some of the things that we're, that many of us are being asked to do today. It makes it harder to be a leader. It makes right. it harder to collaborate. It makes it harder to innovate. It makes it harder to be collegial doesn't mean these things are impossible. It's just that the better you are as a lawyer, the more you're fighting against all of these other roles that we play. And so I can give you some very specific examples if you want, but basically the lawyer brain is a very outlier type of personality constellation that's common to the majority of lawyers in the U.S. And actually it's in in worldwide. I've studied now about uh, eight to 10 other countries, and the data look no different. Now, I found it interesting. You said that there are problems with this lawyer brain, but then those are also reasons why those people are successful, if I heard what you said accurately. How do you understand that to be an asset to attorneys, people that have those personalities? How can that actually be a strength for them? Well, let me give you an example. One of the things that probably the the greatest departure from the typical scores for the general public is the score that lawyers have on a trait called skepticism. We're now talking about another test Mm -hmm. I use called the caliber profile. The average skepticism score for the public on a scale of zero to 100 is 50%. The average score for lawyers is close to 90%. In other words, lawyers are highly, highly skeptical. This is very consistent, consistent over the last 25 years and consistent across countries and consistent across practices and consistent across gender. It's just a a solid, repeatable, regular part of who lawyers are. So why are lawyers so high on skepticism? Because the nature of practicing law requires us in order to protect our clients to be very vigilant about data 
and about people's motives. And so being a good lawyer means questioning. It means asking what could go wrong. It means what are the exceptions? It means why should I not believe you? Those are normal things to a lawyer. They're not normal to the person on the street. So, so far, so good. Being skeptical is a good thing, and it's uncommon if you compare us to the average person. I can also see how that could be a deficit in terms of leadership. You've got a managing partner of a firm that's looking to lead his team, and I'm sure every attorney in this group is sitting back with their arms crossed, questioning his or her motives. What advice would you give to somebody in a leadership role that's leading attorneys? So you, you hit the nail on the head, Scott. When you're in a leadership role, let's take it from both sides. Let's take it from the side of the point of view of the leader, and let's take it from the point of view of the constituent that that person is leading. So from the point of view of the leader, you practice law most of the time. Most leaders in law firms are leaders part-time. They practice law and they lead on the side. Right. There are a couple of firms, maybe 10, 12% of law firms today have full-time leaders at the top. And a small, small number of firms have three or four leaders that are full-time leaders and don't practice at all. But the vast majority of, of managing partners in this country practice law first and managing partner is their second job. Right. So most of the time, they're in their skeptical mindset. Now, when they put on their leadership hat, it's very hard to turn off that skepticism, and most of them don't even know that they should, so they act skeptical. The problem with that is skepticism is what we call a reciprocal trait. When I'm skeptical with you, it triggers a natural human response for you to be skeptical with me. If I'm skeptical with you, I'm not going to follow you. I'm going to do exactly what you just proposed. I'm going to, for everything that you propose as a leader, I'm going to say, oh, really? Why should I follow you? So the, the advice to leaders is you have to be adaptable. You have to learn how to use that skepticism when it's appropriate and how to dial it back in a leadership role. Now, that's a very doable thing because this is a learnable trait. Sure. But it's, it's doable in theory, getting an actual highly skeptical lawyer or leader to dial it back in practice is not so easy. So if, if you could segment the areas that your work helps an attorney, I think we could probably look at, put them in different buckets. One of them is a leadership bucket. The other one is serving clients. What are the other areas of that attorney's life, both professionally and personally, where you think your work makes an impact? So a lot of the work that I do has to do with institutional or systems level change initiatives. It starts with things like, how do we cope with all the change that's affecting us from outside? Change has some negative consequences, and every lawyer that I know is affected by those consequences. Whether they're mindful of that effect or not, it affects them, and it diminishes their capacity to uh, practice high-quality law. It distracts them. It can raise some risks of potential liability. And so there are many law firm leaders that are interested in how can we equip our rank and file lawyers to cope better with these stress points that are not their own fault. Right. Um, a second kind of uh, thing is these days, talent issues are very, very top of mind for most law firm leaders. There aren't enough good people out there to fill all the seats. Everybody's competing for the same small pool. And these days, in addition to the skill of practicing law, having good grades from a good law school, there are a number of other 
really important qualities that people are looking for when they hire lawyers, and those are even you know, scarcer. And so what are the tricks of the trade? Are there some psychological techniques that we can use to ensure that we're hiring people who are a good fit for our firm? We're not hiring the wrong people. We right. are hiring the right people. That's, that's a, a very uh, important area. And then once they're hired, how do we get the maximum out of our people? How do we keep them psychologically engaged so they don't leave before the economic break-even point has been attained? How do we get them to deliver the maximum value to the client and in the other roles that they play? That involves a branch of psychology called engagement. And looking for the engaged employee, creating the engaged employee is something that's been studied for over 50 years. There's a lot of good science about it. One of my jobs is to bring that science to law firms. So let me let me ask you this. One thing that you mentioned, you talked about the ability for lawyers to cope. You mentioned in some of the articles and blog posts that you've written, you've indicated that change is harder for lawyers to cope with than others. Why do you think that is? And is there anything that lawyers can do about that? Well, the main reason that change is so difficult is that we are low in a trait called resilience, psychological resilience. Resilience has to do with how we cope with adversity. High resilient people do two things really, really well. Number one, when they hit a bump in the road, it doesn't mess them up. They're very, very adept at coping with life's bumps. Low resilience people get really, really upset or wounded or defensive or hurt or uh, stressed out when they hit a bump. Number two, highly resilient people bounce back really well. A highly resilient person usually isn't even affected by a bump, but if they are affected by it, they're back on the saddle pretty quickly. Whereas low resilience people sulk and ruminate and, and go offline and get you know, diminished in their capacity for a fairly long time. Luckily, this capacity of building high resilience is a learnable trait. Most personality traits are fairly genetic and resilience has some genetic predispositions as well, but it, among other personality traits, resilience stands out as being one of the most learnable. There's a lot that you can do, mainly through teaching cognitive strategies that can fortify a person's resilience, which enables them to do both of those things better. They, they roll better with the punches, and when one of them lands, they bounce back better. So let me ask you this, in terms of action steps, and I'll kind of put it this way, I, as you know, I do headhunting for law firms, and I talk to partners, and sometimes I'll talk to a partner that says, I hate it here, I don't trust the leadership, I don't trust my colleagues, I feel depressed, I feel demoralized, but I'm going to stay because that's the devil that I know. And just that fear of risk. And I know, I told one partner, I said, when my boy was five years old, we were outside of this amazing McDonald's playground and he didn't want to go inside because of the plastic whistle that I gave him on the sidewalk. And I told him, I said, if you could see what I see, you would be excited about this opportunity ahead of you. And I feel really bad for some of these people that I talk to where they're stuck. And I think it's that, just that risk, just that the resilience component where they just might not have skills to recover. But anyways, what action steps could you give someone that might give them some tactical takeaways today in terms of how to build those resilience muscles? So think of it this way, Scott. The, the 
we're back to this idea of practicing law. When you practice law every day, you're immersed in this skeptical mindset. And one of the things that does is it starts training your brain, training the neurons in your brain to build these very efficient, effective pathways for looking for problems. And that generates a soundtrack. We all have thoughts in our head. Turns out that those thoughts are quite important to the emotions that we experience. Our thoughts generate our emotions. Right. And so if you're every day immersing yourself in skeptical thinking, every day you're also generating negative thoughts and that generates negative emotions and that puts you at risk for having difficulty coping with change and even eventually for depression and a bunch of other problems. If the root of all of this is the thinking that we're doing, one of the things we know from neuroscience research is it's very hard to undo neural pathways once they're set. Right. We can't undo that work and we don't want to because negative thinking is part of the, the good thing we do as lawyers. But the good news is we can create some new neural pathways by looking at some positive thinking, not uh, pie in the sky, rose colored glasses, positive thinking, but realistic ways of teaching your brain to look for the good things in life as well as the bad things so that your brain at least has a choice when you're not wearing your lawyer hat. And that's the essence of resilience training. You teach people how to hunt for good things. So one of the simplest things we do, for example, is use a simple activity that has actually been um, studied for about 13 years. This research has been out there and it's very, very powerful research, but the, the intervention is simple as pie. All you have to do is think of three good things every day at the same time, write mm. them down and savor those three things. In other words, let's say, and it doesn't have to be something you did. It could be something that you witnessed or the sun rose, anything that generated a positive emotion. I like to do this when I go to bed. So I sit down at night, my wife and I make a list with each other of each of our three good moments during the day. And we recall back what was that first moment? What was it like? What was the positive emotion it evoked? And you kind of marinate in that positive feeling once again for about 60 seconds. That's great. That's, it's training your brain to generate new positive neural pathways. And eventually, because you know you're going to have to do it again tomorrow night, you go through your day tomorrow and your brain starts going, oh, I don't want to come up empty when I have that list to make. Maybe I'll start looking for positive things. This is all kind of unconscious behind the scenes. You're actually training your brain to start looking for the good instead of just looking for the bad. And it's very simple, very effective. That is simple. And I would recommend people listening to this, if you are skeptical about these ideas that Larry's giving you, test it for a week and see what happens. Some similar concepts, when I used to have a recruiter sales training company, I used to teach resilience concepts also because in the recruiting world, most of what we work on falls apart. And I said that over time, you've got to build these muscles. And I had a similar technique that I would teach people. And one person said, I've been doing this for 20 years. That's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. And I said, I agree, it's corny, but test it and see what happens for a week. And he did. And I said, there's no cost to test it. You know, it's just a few minutes and then keep track and pay attention. So I think that's a great idea. What, what are some other resources that you have? What's the type of work that you do with firms? How can a firm benefit from you and reach you and, and all that stuff, Larry? So reaching me is easy. That's lawyerbrain.com. The contact information is there. But what I do, um, the website, I think, does a good job of listing all of the diverse things that I do. But the broad umbrella 
is helping lawyers to perform better using personality science as kind of a, a divining tool, as a, you know, the, the scientific research in this area is stunning in terms of its ability to foster real palpable change. And mm-hmm. that's what makes me so excited about working in this area. You can actually produce change for the better in people who often believe that there's no possibility of changing. And it's all about mindset. I would commend your, your listeners to take a look at uh, one of the best TED Talks I've ever seen by a psychologist at Yale named Aliyah Crum, A-L-I-A-C-R-U-M. She studies mindset for a living. That's her area of expertise. And once you watch her TED Talk, I think you'll come away with the impression that Mindset, which we often dismiss as kind of a peripheral, you know, icing on the cake type of thing, is actually a very, very powerful tool. And if we can change how we think about things, a whole lot of behaviors can change with it. And that's the that's kind of the guiding principle that I use, and it covers many different areas. So, like I said, selection of talent, uh, developing talent, engaging talent, motivating people, dealing with dysfunctional behavior. Sometimes firms get into trouble. They have uh, morale problems or they have conflict. They have uh, a misbehaving partner. Those are issues I get called in to help deal with quite a bit. So what do you do exactly? Do you speak at law firm retreats? Do you do one-on-one consulting? What are some of the things that you actually do when you work with the firms and with the attorneys? I do a lot of retreat presentations and keynotes, Scott, because those are often ways of educating the partners about some of these issues. It's never enough just to do a presentation because education is a passive type of learning and it doesn't produce behavior change by and large. But it is indispensable that the, for, for the partners to understand these principles and to realize that there is the possibility of applying science, of harnessing science to produce some, some improvement in the things that they want uh, to work better. So step one is educate. Step two is usually more behind the scenes, working with senior management to affect some of the policy tweaks. So there are a number of things that could be done at a policy level that influence how our lawyers function, how they perform, how they behave. Let's take a simple example. I worked with a firm a couple of years ago that was um, interested in merging with another similarly sized firm. And the management team had really done their homework on both sides. And they decided that this was a very good idea. But they had hundreds of skeptical partners when you added together the two firms. And the challenge was, how do we convey that we, your leaders, have vetted this merger and it's a good thing for the firm without running into the buzzsaw of skeptical challenges? And so I worked with them to develop some psychological strategies that helped to defuse some of the skepticism and build some buy-in from the rank-and-file partners so that they would get the approval that they were seeking. That's impacting. Yeah, it made a big difference. And the merger did go through successfully. That's great. Well, Larry, you've got great resources on your blog. Are there any other tools or resources that you have out there that people can learn about your concepts? So in addition to the blog, if they go to the website and click on resources, there's a tab called resources. Under that resources tab 
are a number of um, articles that I have written that uh, describe some of the findings of my research into lawyers' personality and uh, some other tools that I've developed over the years. So those articles are all free and downloadable. The other thing is I am a fanatic about reading. I have on my Kindle probably about 1,500 psychology books at any given time. And uh, I'm usually reading three or four of them at a time. There, this is kind of the golden age of you know, psychology book publishing. There are a lot of books, both by formally trained psychologists and then some by journalists who are very good at being lay explainers of psychological research. So Malcolm Gladwell comes to mind. It's the first one in my mind that you mentioned <laughs> when you said that, when you'd made that description. <laughs> you know, and Dan Pink, who happens to be a lawyer, but he writes about psychological issues, right. like, like his book, Drive. So if anyone is interested in, uh, you know, what book should I read? Do you have any recommendations for leadership books? Or do you have any recommendations for books on resilience? Or do you have any recommendation for books on cognitive bias? Or, you know, whatever the topic is, I'm always happy to recommend books. But it always comes with a warning, Scott, which is be careful what you ask for. <laughs> That's great. Well, Larry, thank you for your expertise today in the podcast, your great topic, which I know is going to make a difference for the listeners in a very significant way, not just professionally, but also personally. Thanks so much for your time today, Larry. It's my pleasure, Scott. Great chatting with you. Thanks for joining me. And if you have ideas or recommendations for this podcast, please email me at scott at attorneysearchgroup.com. For more information about the Attorney Search Group and the services I offer as a sports agent for partners who want to find a better platform, visit me on the web at attorneysearchgroup.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>